What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. You know, I wanted to be very real in this book and say things that, you know, we're not typically allowed as women to say, even in 2021, you know, I feel like there's still a lot of silencing of women, silencing of our stories, silencing of our experience. Things like, oh, I don't know, just all the ages things being 50 something years old and enjoying having sex still with people who are quite a bit younger, you know, like maybe in their twenties. So all these things I just wanted to be real about because I saw this ageism and sexism around women my age. That's Nancy Jo Sales, famed Vanity Fair writer, award-winning journalist, and New York Times best-selling author of American Girls, Social Media, and The Secret Lives of Teenagers, and The Bling Ring, How a Gang of Fame-Obsessed Teens Ripped Off Hollywood and Shocked the World. The book she was just talking about is her latest. It's called Nothing Personal. My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno. It's a memoir about coming of middle age in the midst of the online dating revolution. Through personal experience and loads of research, Nancy Joe explores this question. Does big dating really want us to find love or just keep on using its apps? By big dating, she's talking about the big corporations at the head of it all. Tinder, Bumble, and so on. If you have ever felt overwhelmed by swipe culture or alone in your frustrations about online dating, you are so far from alone. And there are so many reasons behind these challenges. Nancy Jo explores pretty much all of them in her book. She also delves into some of the roots of the problems that big dating can both reflect and exacerbate including ways kids who are socialized as girls are objectified from the get-go. She told me that she herself was very sexualized from an early age and that that harmed and affected her entire life until now. She also recalls being a sexual being, as we all are, from early on and pointed out that there is a huge difference between being a sexual person, having sexuality as part of us, part of our identity, and being sexualized, which comes from others. Like many of us, Nancy Jo recalls having normal sexual feelings as a child. For example, I, I knew that I wanted to kiss boys from a very young age. And I knew that I, my heart kind of fluttered when I watched James Bond movies <laughs> with, my, with my dad. I'd go to the, the, you know, the theater and see James Bond, see Sean Connery take his shirt off and just be like, oh. I like the way that looks. I wanted to be real about the fact that even when we're very little, we have sexual feelings and we're getting input from our culture, from our parents, from our siblings, from our peers about what is okay, what is not okay, what you know it means if you feel these things and so forth. So what I found out very early on as a little girl, I guess to put it in 
such terms as we, we describe it these days is I found that I was straight and liked men and boys and that I wanted to have a boyfriend. And um, I had thoughts like, what do I do to get one? Even as I got older into like middle school and high school, I wanted to know, well, how do you, how do, you do that? So how is that different from sexualization? I often describe it like this. Our sexuality comes from within us. It's an inherent part of who we are. Being sexualized is when we are forced to be seen as sexual or treated in sexual ways without our consent. Nancy Joe is a renowned expert on this topic. Her American Girls book is just wow. I have recommended it to so many people. She told me that sexualization plays out in so many ways for girls. In almost every aspect of our culture, even now to this day, in movies, TV, music, music videos, video games, toys, everything you can possibly think of that a girl engages with in culture, social media, for sure. Um, what it means is that a girl is taught that her value is through being sexy. What gets her likes on social media, what gets her attention, what gets her validation is sexiness. One study showed that during one year, school-age kids may take in as many as 80,000 quote-unquote sexy girl portrayals in TV programming marketed toward kids. Sadly, kids are also sexualized in programming and media aimed at adults. And research has also shown that girls as young as five commonly aspire to look sexy. So how does that affect us into adulthood? I can't even imagine counting the ways or having to sit here thinking about all of them. It's a lot. But sexualization of girls is linked with poor body image, eating disorders, depression, heightened stress and anxiety, just to name a few problems. When you take these factors into online dating, where so much of it is about photos and stats, it's, well, complicated. That's not to say that you shouldn't be sharing sexy photos of yourself or expressing your sexuality in whatever ways you see fit. I want to make that very clear. Nancy Jo, too, is very much about not blaming women or femmes for any of this. Some people feel more empowered by sort of taking that back. Others feel empowered by saying, F you, I'm going to do the opposite. No matter your gender, you get to decide what feels right for you as far as your sexual expression goes, and there should never be any judgment. I just think it's important to recognize that none of this happens in a bubble. Not our beliefs, not what we consider to be sexy. We are taught these things. And introspection, making more informed decisions and examining our beliefs so we make sure that we're doing what's best for us and feels the best and is healthiest for our own selves. All of those things are really important. So Nancy Joe knew a lot about these cultural factors and ways they were impacting the dating spheres when she decided to try dating apps herself at age 49. What happened was that I had a younger man in my life and I kind of got my heart broken. So I was sad. And so I went in my sake bar, so let's go my place where I go. And there's this bartender in there named Mike. And I just was like running along the river and I felt like I was having a heart attack. 
and I was not having a heart attack, but I might've been having something like a broken heart and which can feel like a heart attack. And I told all this to Mike and he said, why don't you just fuck somebody on Tinder? Or why don't you just go on a dating app and fuck somebody? Cause that's what I always do. He said, you know, just fuck away the pain. I was like, do I really want to do that? These dating apps from everything I've heard just seem awful. And I know all these young girls have had these terrible experiences on them. But there I went wandering into the wilderness, like the beginning of Dante's Inferno. In the beginning of Dante's Inferno, he says he's in midlife and he wanders into the wilderness. And then he starts to see and experience all of these horrible things. In Nothing Personal, she wrote, Dante's Inferno begins midway upon the journey of our life. I woke to find myself in a dark wood, for I had wandered off the straight path. That was me stumbling into Tinder world. Soon it was time for her first date via app. She started chatting with a man on OkCupid. After some back and forth, including a booty call attempt from him, he agreed to meet her at a wine bar. And she did get some sex, as her bartender friend had suggested, but not quite the therapeutic kind. Well, that was bad sex. <laughs> that was like the worst possible, not the worst possible. It was, it was some of the worst sex I have ever had in my entire life. And this young man, I call him in the book, Jack, the skateboard boy. He just had this kind of snide sort of condescending kind of thing. By the time we were ready to have sex, I had him saying things to me like, I'm actually having a good time. <laughs> I was like, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do on a date? Nancy Joe told me she has heard from people in all different parts of the U.S. and the world who say they feel like there's a contest in today's dating culture to see who can care less about the experience. What happened to having fun and making each other laugh and feel good? She won't romanticize dating of the past, she said, which had its own obvious problems. But in her 40 years of experience dating, she said it's actually worse now. What we should really be doing, she asserts, is caring more. In her book, she said the pretenders got it right with this lyric. Now the reason we're here as man and woman, or however one so identifies, is to love each other, take care of each other. Anyway, Jack the Skateboard Boy seemed to be coming from the opposite. That idea of caring less is cool. He was one of those people who's fallen into that unfortunate mode. But then I, you know, cajoled him out of it and got into like, we're having a good time. We're talking, we're laughing, we're drinking beer. After a bit, she told him she was tired. She walked him out and guided him to her building nearby, then into the building's little dark gym. There, he pushed her up against a wall, and they started kissing. She said he was a good kisser, but she just wasn't feeling anything. In fact, she started to daydream. Then he dropped to his knees pretty suddenly to go down on her. As he did, she said she felt the same boredom she had felt while they were texting. And I didn't even really know why I was doing it. And I guess it was just like, you know, it's not just me, lots of women I think have had this experience where you're having sex. It's not really good. You don't really like it, but you just go through with it because it's like sort of get it over with kind of thing. And, and just like make it, make it stop. 
And then when it was over, he said, you know, yeah, I had fun. Um, you know, um, I, I might call you, I might not, but nothing personal if I don't. And that is where her book title, Nothing Personal, came from. I don't know about you, but I really felt sorry for both of them listening to that. These ideas about caring less and women being sex objects hurt men too. They leave men feeling like they aren't allowed to be vulnerable or take their time or be kind and as though there's something wrong with them if they don't want to have sex all the time. It's just so hurtful and unrealistic. When I mentioned this to Nancy Joe, she told me about a conversation she had with a friend of hers, a jazz musician who's in his 60s. They went to dinner recently, and they started talking about her new book. This is somebody with a lot of soul. And he was talking about what you're saying, about how bad all of this is for men. Because he also has students, he says, young men who are his students. And my friend was saying, you know, this is so bad for men too, because they are not learning intimacy. They're not learning the pleasure that they will get out of being able to give pleasure to women. They're not learning how to be intimate with a woman in a way that will lead to real relationship. Intimacy is not just about sex. It's also about having real relationships. He was just so sad for the men, for the young men. This is an older guy, like a dad figure saying, oh God, this is not good for them either. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's robbing, it's inculcating them into the worst aspects of toxic masculinity that there are. And it's robbing them of the pleasure of knowing and loving women. Nancy Joe acknowledges that dating apps are often different for anyone who's not straight or interested in a heterosexual relationship. In her documentary, there's a great scene where she interviews gay men who said they are so grateful they finally have a way to easily meet people to date or have sex with. She also realizes that there are exceptions to these yuck experiences. We will get to some of that in a bit here. But first, another one of her dating through app experiences. As a heads up, it's an especially dark one that involves violence and non-consent. It does end on a better note. It involves someone she calls in her book, The Choking Boy. She described him as big and beefy, like a football player. I matched with him on, I think it was Tinder, and I was in Louisville, Kentucky, where I was filming some stuff for my documentary. I matched with him. We met in the, like the hotel bar. We're laughing. We're joking. We're talking. It's really, really fun. And we're getting along. And yeah, we, we came up to my room. We started having sex. And he starts choking me. So this is not BDSM. This is not like a mutually agreed upon act. This is his big, beefy ham hock hands and his big hammer of thumbs against my throat. And very tight while he's really pounding away. And me thinking, like, oh my God, he's gonna kill me. So I take my big, strong Jewish peasant woman legs, inherited from my grandmother, and I put them up on him, and he went flying. Like it was like a cartoon. Like he went flying across the room. And he said, What did you do that for? What did, what's wrong with you? What did you do that for? And I scrambled up off the bed. I thought he was maybe a, a murderer. And there had already been Tinder murders. 
So I scrambled up off the bed. I was looking for a weapon and I was like, don't come near me. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What, 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 what's wrong with you? And I was like, what's wrong with you? You're choking me. And he's like, but girls like to be choked. And I said, why do you think girls like to be choked? And he's like, well, they always like it in porn. He says, I want to show you. He opened his laptop and started showing her the vast amounts of choking videos on Pornhub. There are so many choking videos in mainstream porn, Nancy said, that research shows that many people, especially young women, have been led to believe that choking is a standard part of sex, whether you're into it or not. But as Nancy Joe pointed out, You don't have to like choking if you don't like choking. So this did not feel good to me. I did not want to be choked and I felt like I was going to die. So I told him this. It, it was a really amazing conversation because I think we both learned something about each other. And then we wound up having really great sex that same evening because we had talked about what we like and don't like. And we had had a conversation and we had communicated and we started to be more intimate through sharing with each other. Nancy Jo wrote about that conversation in her book, and it's pretty striking. The pair went from talking about choking, consent, and feminism to slow, sensual touch and ended up with mutual orgasms. At a certain point while using the apps, Nancy Jo did find someone with whom she developed a relationship she described as really close, intimate, sexual, exciting, and sweet. It was with a man in his 20s named Abel. He'd come from very impoverished circumstances and had grown up without internet or cell phones. He came to New York for a job. He wanted to be a musician in New York, and he came to New York, got a job. And um, he was lovely just really lovely. And we, we were lucky in the sense that like we clicked and uh, had a lot of fun together. They had what Nancy Joe described as a situationship with no labels. He was seeing other people and so was she for a time. While she didn't think of Abel this way at the time, later on and in hindsight, she said he became almost like a case study. You know, a good-looking young man who comes to New York City and he gets a phone, he gets Tinder. In our city, there's a lot more single women than men. And the women in New York City are amazing. Like, they are just the most accomplished, cool women. I mean, women all over the world are fantastic. But New York has really some really cool, exciting women. And she said they outnumber men. And uh, what dating apps do is provide unlimited access or what seems to be in the minds of men perceived as unlimited access. And I watched this change him and I watched his focus become very, very scattered. So we were in sort of this inferno, like I call it in the title or dystopia where we had our thing, which was sweet and lovely, But all around us, there was the white noise of all of these other things going on, and it was very hard. Over time, Abel started lying to Nancy Joe about who he was with and even when he was in town versus traveling. She found herself going through his phone, 
the way another woman who stopped trusting him had. Nancy Joe and Abel stayed friends and had sex off and on for some time, while that white noise she mentioned continued. Once she saw that he was labeling women in his phone by things like bra size, though, she was done. When she asked him about it, he defended himself by saying, she was just a piece of ass. That isn't to say that Nancy Joe doesn't believe you can find meaningful hookups, healthy relationships, or lasting love on dating apps. Of course true connections happen. I know this. We all know this. And we've even seen marriages. And I, I, I never for a second would deny that it's impossible. But I do think that whether you're old, young, whatever, that all of this technology makes trust way harder and, and, and interferes with your ability to commit to each other and your ability to focus on each other. It's, there's even a word for it among sociologists. It's called technoference. Technoference. Even having your phone or iPad nearby, say on the table while you're eating, makes you less likely to hear or focus on a person you're with. There are a whole bunch of studies about this. According to one published in Psychology of Popular Media Culture, quote, allowing technology to interrupt conversations, activities, and time with romantic partners, even when unintentional or for brief moments, can send implicit messages about what they value most, leading to conflict and negative outcomes in personal life and relationships. In other words, as tech use goes up, intimacy goes down. On top of those issues, Nancy Joe talks a great deal about how big dating companies fuel racism, transphobia, misogyny, and violence. She told me she has Google alerts set for dating app-related violence and deaths for her journalism work. One had just pinged before we chatted. In response to her work, Nancy Joe often hears from people who feel defensive. They often say things like, well, I found love. We met on an app. We're married. It's great. Tinder's great. I asked her how she responds. This is what I would say to this person. I'm so glad that you feel that it worked for you. And I'm happy for you. But it's not a binary. Like just because you got married to someone you met on Plenty of Fish doesn't mean Plenty of Fish is good or that dating apps are good. It doesn't mean that they don't have a problem with dick pics, rape, sexual assault, harassing messages. Many people say that dating apps are basically like a bar. Nancy Joe rejects that comparison. She said it would only make sense if there was a bouncer at the entrance who divided people by the color of their skin, allowed racist and transphobic slurs, and grouped people together who fit society's ideas about physical beauty together, allowing them to get the most matches. That bar would also have to have models and actors hitting on people to represent the bots that many apps use to keep people swiping and engaged. Oh, and also it would be a bar if there was 30%, and this is data from ProPublica, of women who go into this bar get raped or sexually assaulted. So if that's the kind of bar that you feel is like a good place for your friends to go, I don't know who you are. Would you really say, go to this bar? It's the most amazing place. Yes, it's transphobic and it's racist. And there might be people in there saying racist things like people have on their profiles, as you know, like really racist things that nobody should see. 
And I think those people should be slapped off that app immediately, but they're allowed, quote unquote, to say them. You know, I don't want to repeat what they say. They are, you know, justified in some sense by having, uh, you know, like it's their preference or something. But these are racist things. These are Jim Crow racist things. You know, these also like forget about all these very dramatic, horrible things that happen. There's also like just the exploitive way that they take your money and take your, your data without your consent. They're not open about the fact that they're taking your data, which on dating apps involves like sexual choices and preferences. And I don't buy that as a justification for, for these businesses. Since we're talking about the dark side of dating apps, I shared with Nancy Joe a couple of messages that I and a friend of mine have received about their own challenges. These messages are from women who have tried using the apps to meet men. With their permission, here's a short excerpt. Tinder has destroyed my self-confidence. I can't seem to stop, though. It's the only way dating works now. And another. Eight years of dating app BS was so traumatic for me. I have been in therapy dealing with all of that and still struggle even though now I'm off of them. If any of that sounded like you, Nancy Jo wanted you to hear this. Well, first of all, I'm so glad you said those things and keep saying them because women are so judged on our relationships, on our, on our quote unquote, you know, success in having relationships. And we're, we're sort of like challenged from having success in relationships from the jump because we live in an, an equal society where there's unequal income and unequal labor and unequal childcare, and we don't have support as women. So the first thing I would say is it is not you. It is them. If you're feeling traumatized by the guys you're meeting on these apps, that's on them, not you. That's on this culture, not on you. I feel you. I carry around so much trauma from so many things that happened to me over my life before online dating even ever started. It's all because of these things. And that's why I wrote this recent book, Nothing Personal, is because um, I don't want to carry it around anymore. I don't think that I should stay silent about it. I am not ashamed of things that have happened to me or things I've done in the, in the realm of sex and love and dating. I am not ashamed. And I'm not an angel. I'm not perfect. But it, a lot of this shit was not my fault. And I, I stood up for myself and I'm standing up for myself now and you should too. And, and don't blame yourself. If you're feeling addicted, watch my film swiped. If you watch nothing else in the film, go to the 25 minute mark and watch the next three or four minutes, which are all about breaking down to the person who invented the swipe and Adam Alter, who is a social scientist at NYU and, and wrote a best-selling book called Irresistible about addiction and social media, you will see exactly how they get you addicted. And you're not alone in feeling lowered self-esteem through all this stuff. And you're not alone in feeling like um, you're addicted because they designed it to be addicted. You know, I had a young man that I interviewed become suicidal over it. And he went to therapy and the doctor that he dealt with said, you have to find something to replace this. You need to get a hobby. So he started swing dancing. 
That's not to say that everyone needs to swing dance, she pointed out. But having interests or hobbies, something you find fun or fulfilling is important, especially when you feel overwhelmed or consumed by dating apps. I think that doing so can help with the self-esteem and body image challenges that can be fueled by dating apps among all genders. Research now shows that men are feeling much more critical of their bodies, too, when they use the apps. I will say that the people I do know who've met people and have successful relationships they were seeking using apps, they didn't spend much time on them. They found someone by being very clear about what they wanted, and I'm sure some luck was involved. They didn't spend a lot of time swiping and chatting and all of that. Speaking of hobbies, Nancy Jo found a new one of her own recently. In the pandemic, I started playing chess online. And I've met all these people through chess. This is a lie that this is the only way to meet people. If I can meet people through playing chess and, and my friend, well, he's called Alex in the story, let's call him Alex, can meet people through swing dancing, you can still take back the reins of your life, take back your power. There is so much of this idea, taking her power back, in nothing personal. It's something she wants for so many others, and something she has worked hard for in her own life. Near the end of the book she wrote, walking along with the hordes of New Yorkers rushing home at dusk in Manhattan, it was as if I had disappeared completely, and it felt mystic and light. The street used to be a place where you thought you might be seen by some handsome stranger. Someone who would make you feel you mattered even more. And I was always looking for that stranger. Always searching for that someone who could make me feel that I had been seen. And now, I was free from that thought. Nancy Jo told me she really put herself out there in this memoir. And not everyone has understood why. My doctor, actually, he said to me, why did you write this? He's an older white man, and he didn't understand why a woman would do this. Why, why, why would you do this to yourself? Why would you tell people these things? Because I'm, I'm sick of pretending like they didn't happen. I'm sick of pretending like I don't feel this way. I'm sick of pretending like I have to hide parts of myself. I don't. I want to share my experience so that others can hopefully resonate with it and feel like, you know, it's okay to talk about. Learn much more about Nancy Jo Sales and the pitfalls of big dating by purchasing Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno. Most anywhere books are sold. Find excerpts, reviews, and a Spotify playlist for the book she created on her website, nancyjosales.com. Her documentary, Swiped, Hooking Up in the Digital Age, is available on HBO and Amazon Prime. Okay, so what if you find someone awesome and you are forging a relationship, but things aren't going so well in the orgasm department? This week's listener question came in anonymously through one of my email list surveys. My girlfriend told me she has never had an orgasm. I want to give her one, but she says it's not a big deal and doesn't want me to push for that. I'm so confused. 
She says she enjoys sex, but how can I be sure if it seems like it's mostly about me and ends when I come? This is such a great question. And I really feel that intention you have for your girlfriend. You want her to have this amazing pleasure. And I think that's awesome. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Your girlfriend isn't alone. Two-thirds of women don't have an orgasm with just penetration. They need the additional clitoral stimulation. And in this case, I love how open and honest your girlfriend is being with you that she hasn't yet, yet always in my mind being the operative word, had an orgasm. Because women too often feel pressure to have an orgasm just to please their partners. The thing is, she hasn't yet had the right level of mental and physical stimulation to reach that tipping point of an orgasm. And I can say in my 20 years of clinical experience, I frequently observe a pattern, and it's not uncommon that women who haven't yet had an orgasm often also have a challenging time relaxing in general and letting go. So I would say, I hope you both are focusing on pleasuring one another, knowing orgasms may or may not happen. Don't let it be a goal because goals too often bring pressure. Explore what helps you both to relax and be in the moment. Take your girlfriend's lead and don't overthink this. Trust that she's enjoying the intimacy and physical sensations of having sex with you. Play and explore new positions for different angles, sex toys, pillows, wedges. The key here is that your focus is on pleasure. That's it. Full stop. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about relieving pressure by not making orgasm the goal, which can be hard to do when you have experienced orgasms. You love them, you want them for your partner. But I agree with her, really focusing on the pleasure. You said that sex seems to be mostly about you. You can start shifting that without focusing on orgasm. I would talk to your girlfriend about that and just find ways to have fun and pleasure and maybe take your orgasm off the table too a few times or for a little bit and just see what kinds of fun, sensual adventures you can have together. If you have a question that you would like answered on the show, please reach out. You can also ask me pretty much anything, anytime through my Patreon by joining at most any level. Learn more about joining that community and supporting this show and my work by heading to patreon.com slash girlboner. It makes me so happy whenever a new person joins. I get so ecstatic and I'd love for you to be one of them. You can also support the show by leaving a rating and review making sure you're subscribed to the show and telling your friends about it. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.